0: Welcome to the Major Grunge Audio Experience, my gamers, my gamers. I know it's been a few weeks. I've been honestly just kind of getting my ass kicked by this quarantine. I don't know if anyone else has felt it, but there's just, just sort of like energy drain going on. And I know a lot of other people have felt it too because I've talked to it for a fair amount of people. And uh, yeah, I've just not been feeling quite myself. I think I had a little bit of seasonal affective disorder at play as well, you know. It was uh, the time of the year for it, but this week I really started to kind of get my mojo back, so to speak, and I'm feeling good. I was able to do some really cool things in the period between last podcast and now. I was able to guest star on um, Harry Horror Show stream again. I was able to go on Lost Souls with Uncle Joe on the channel SideQuest and talk about fashion. Super cool, super fun stuff. But I've also had a lot of cool uh, and neat podcast opportunities offered to me. By some new friends I've made, I believe this coming Sunday will be on the Metal Hand of God podcast, MHOG, and uh, on Carnage Radio after that. And so, whenever that stuff's closer to actually happening, you know, you can uh, you can expect to find me posting about it on social media. That'll be uh, likely Twitter and Discord for sure, and the links are in the show notes for those, um, among other things. You know, I'm sure you'll hear about it on Instagram. But whenever uh, whenever that bridge starts extending, we will cross it. But for now, I have a really fun and juicy podcast topic to dig into today. And so I'm still on deck. I have Societal Dropout Part 2, which will be coming out likely next week. Uh, And then today, though, I decided to go for a topic that I wanted to call the Firestarter, which is based on this quote from like a pretty okay movie. I wouldn't say it's good. I wouldn't say it was bad. The movie was called Stretch. And the general premise of the movie is, is that it's about this limo driver. Um, I guess he goes by stretch. I honestly can't remember. I can't even remember the actors in the movie. I remember that Rob Lowe was like this this wild celebrity, right? And so the limo driver has to pick up this wild celebrity played by Rob Lowe. He has like, uh, he like parachutes in and he's just like this zany, unhinged character. Ultimately, becomes becomes um, kind of this this weird antagonist. But whenever he first jumps in the limo, uh, the guy's like, yeah, you can call me Stretch. And probably hands him a business card or some shit like that. And he goes, tell me, Stretch, are you a fire starter? And uh, I was like, oh, you know, kind of a cool... And he, you know, looks deep into his eyes. Gives him that kind of, like, unpredictable Johnny Depp energy. Um But I liked that question. And I actually think about that a lot. That specific moment in the film comes back to me all the time. And the idea of being a fire starter, and it kind of elaborates what this exactly means the deeper he goes in the movie. Because at first the limo driver is like, what the fuck is he talking about? But the idea is, you know... Like are you willing to shake things up? Are you willing to embrace danger, chaos, disarray, rejecting comfort and starting a fire in a philosophical sense? Maybe that means not being afraid to be a leader or make a scene somewhere when the when a scene needs to be made. Maybe that means rejecting the comforts that are ultimately destructive in your life. Maybe that's a job you despise, a job that's slowly killing your soul. But you don't know, you know, there's a fear associated with quitting it, a valid fear. And I mean, not everyone can just up and quit their job. I wouldn't say that everyone even should, but I do think that you should be working to put yourself in a position where you don't need that job that's slowly killing you. Because, I mean, what, what kind of life is it to, you know, live every day? And uh, some state of existential agony, you know, I mean, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think it's worth it. I mean, all we really know at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a proponent. I do believe there is something beyond maybe an afterlife, maybe not. But the only thing we do know for sure, for sure, for sure, is that the reality in the lifetime we have right now is a fact. That's like the only thing we got, certainly. So I think you should take full advantage of it. You know, start a little fire, shake things up, take that danger under your wing and go, you know, jumping into the the ontological burning building. And that's a word I'm going to use a few times in this podcast, ontological. So I'm going to define it. It's a it's something I heard a lot in philosophy school. But a general idea, it's it's a field of study and is the philosophical study philosophical <laughs> study of being. More broadly, it studies concepts that directly relate to being, in particular becoming, existence, reality as well as the basic categories of being and their relations. And uh, it's often Considered a branch of matter, metaphysics, I think that would be pretty much what everyone would consider it. But yeah, so <clears throat> when I talk about states of being, states of reality, I often introduce this sort of pseudo simulation concept. Right? We're going to be doing eventually an episode fully about the simulation theory, but we're, I'm just going to briefly outline to you a um, a layer of the simulation theory that. And I'm going to turn down my mic a little bit here because I just saw it go really loud when I went, but. Uh, But uh, yeah, so the simulation theory, right? You've probably heard a few different takes on this. You've probably seen the matrix. You've seen this idea that we're being harvested for our energy. We're like human batteries, right? Um, You've seen this idea that maybe we're brains in vats. This almost goes all the way back to Descartes when Descartes first wondered if he actually existed and he came to this conclusion. I think therefore I am. How do we know that our reality is real? It's an interesting question but for the moment, I'm not going to dig into those sort of theories, the, the ones that were in some sort of simulation in a more concrete sense, you know, brains and vats, matrix type of things. Instead, I want to introduce a theory that Jean Baudrillard develops a bit in his famous book, Simulation and Simulacra. And I want to briefly pull up a quote from this book. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's also the very first one on Goodreads, but that's besides the point. I, um, I read this book a little while ago. Truthfully, I need to reread it because... It's been a long time since I like really dug in. and I read it the first time and it really affected me. But I think as with any good body uh, any good book of philosophy, it usually takes a couple passes before you get everything uh, that is that is that is meant to be said. So Jean Balgelard says, we live in a world where there is more and more information and less and less meaning. Another amazing quote that we'll dig into. I'm actually just going to keep it for now because it'll be relevant later on in this podcast. But uh, So so what he means by that, or what I think he means by that, is is almost a, a sort of similar notion to uh, the grand thesis of the popular anime Cowboy Bebop. And Cowboy Bebop, this amazing, super advanced, ultra-connected world is depicted, but somehow everyone is more alone than ever before and this similar kind of thing comes with Jean Baudrillard. It's like in this in the information age, you know, we have boundless information at our fingertips, information that we aren't even supposed to access, right? I'm talking about information on WikiLeaks, right? Like the fact that you can even access WikiLeaks, confidential government documents that anyone can browse at their leisure is pretty insane. However, with all of this information, there's a sort of overload what do you believe? Who can you believe? Especially in our world, when when so much information is distorted, I think it's a it's a well documented fact at this point that, you know, many media outlets, many news sources, whether you're in like the more Trump fake news camp or maybe you just uh, you know have a healthy skepticism, we all know that whatever news outlet it might be has an agenda that they're trying to fulfill. We know that this news outlet is likely somewhat distorting information for their own purposes. And we know that that sort of devalues information as a whole. So you take into that layer, plus the layer of just personal human bias. I mean, if you think about the journey of any given piece of information, whether it's an idea, belief, or a perceived fact, if at any point in that factor, ideas, journey, human bias, whether it's propaganda for a government, religion, or whether it's just a simple cognitive bias like confirmation bias, if any of that makes its way into the human mind at any point in that information's journey... What you then end up with is a tainted piece of information. It almost makes you ask the question, is anything truly real? Is anything fully anchored in our reality? Which is where we start to get into some of these simulations and simulacra. These beliefs and concepts that have been introduced to us as facts are introduced to us as 100% true, but in reality aren't. Because at some point in their journey, they were distorted for one reason or another. This comes up a lot, a lot, a lot with political propaganda. This may be one of the most common ways you see it. There is uh, another quote by Jean Balgerlard here from the same book. This is what terrorism occupied with as well, making real palpable violence surface in opposition to the invisible violence of security. And I'm sure you've probably heard this before, this idea of, you know, what's what's uh, more valuable, security or freedom? It's a It's a common question, comes up a lot, and I think that a lot of people, upon reflecting in, America's decisions in post-9-11 realized that we sacrificed a significant amount of our freedoms for increased security to a terrorist threat. However, you know, moving forward from that, and of course at the time it was such a serious event, how could one not address it, you know, ultra seriously? But now I think many people reflecting on the decisions that were made during that time, especially people looking a lot more critically at the things that Dick Cheney did with increased executive powers, I think we can all agree— That the envelope was pushed a little bit too far. I mean, things like the mass listening campaigns that the NSA became under fire for when Edward Snowden blew the whistle. All of these things were empowered by, and in many ways, a result of post-9-11 America and the Patriot Act. So the perceived violence, right, the violence that everyone imagines is that, you know, terrorists, in this case Islamic terrorists, are going to, you know, come and try and kill all of us in America, and that is, I guess, a possibility. But if you look at the data, I mean, of course, nine eleven was a massive event with a massive loss of life. But in general, the likelihood of anyone in America dying of a terrorist attack, domestic or otherwise, is astronomically low. Increasing, like I mean, I mean, compared to many other threats, such as you know, of course, car accidents, cardiac arrest being number one causes of you know some of the not number ones, but you know some of the some of the most uh, like, largest causes of death in the U.S. You also just have the fact that more people in the U.S. are killed by our own police force than by any kind of terrorism. And, uh, you know, we're going to dig into law enforcement later, so I don't want to get too deep into it now. But my whole point here is that the idea of terror, the idea of the danger that terrorism poses, vastly outweighs the actual danger that it does pose. Yet, because of this perceived danger of terrorism, massive changes to our society have been made. This is a simulation. This is a simulacra, the simulated idea of the danger these terrorists pose. This is an example of what I'm going to be talking about for a chunk of this episode here as we introduce the concepts that I then want to urge you to dismantle. So this is a grand geopolitical idea, right? But another interesting layer to this, the functioning nature of any given bureaucracy, whether it's the bureaucracy of a small university or the federal government. I think you'd be really surprised at how many holes are in this entire system, how many things don't get done or don't get done the way they should because of just simple inconsistencies, simple human errors. And what this represents for the firestarter, the person willing to insert themselves into reality as a monkey wrench or a wedge, is an opportunity to shake things up. Even though it may be the case that something's supposed to happen one way or something's supposed to happen the other way, when you get really scrappy and really thrifty down to your DIY roots, an homage to Black Flag, you can make a lot of shit happen that is seemingly impossible. Uh, you see this a lot if you if you ever read things like Entrepreneur Magazine or stories about entrepreneurs. A lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs out there have to get pretty scrappy in order to make the shit happen that they want to happen. And sometimes this means going a little bit outside of the boundaries of what is considered, um, I don't know, illegal in some cases. But I don't mean that in a very unethical business person sense. I just mean like... Sometimes you put on a big workshop and you didn't get the permit from, like, the Chamber of Commerce. Uh-oh. And, I mean, I yeah, it's illegal, right? But are we going to condemn someone ethically for that? You know, I, I I don't think so. My point is I think a lot of people get hung up on the logistics of making things happen or the information. And they overthink problems. And they think them and make them this massive monster in their own mind. If you ever think of like a goal you've had and you're like, okay, I have until the end of the year to accomplish this goal. New Year's resolution maybe. Uh, something we probably all experienced. You can keep procrastinating it and procrastinating it because you have a year to do it, right? There's no rush. By the end of the year, maybe you haven't even gotten started. And then it's this monster in your own mind. It's grown out of control, you know, flailing like an absolute Godzilla creation how how can you ever hope to address a monster that large? That's an example of just how our minds conflate things. And so I think there's a way of, of society's ridiculous complexity, the ridiculous amount of information out there, the ridiculous amount of laws, regulations, that one has to consider if they want to do anything to the extent of where it almost forms this monster in our mind of what you actually have to do. But as Shia LaBeouf famously once said, just do it. Sometimes just doing it and asking for forgiveness and not permission is the best fucking option. And that's the Firestarter way to do things. Realizing that we are surrounded by simulations and simulacra, realizing that nothing's nearly as clean and well put together as it initially seems, and realizing that half of the time taking the first step is the hardest. These are like things to take in mind when going out to start that fire, and when when you go out to reject reality and substitute your own. I um I wrote down a phrase in my notes for this show. Um, I called it being an ontological anarchist, um, rejecting the the centralized state of ontology, and instead carving out your own path. And obviously, there's certain things you have to do and abide by. And I am, of course, I'm a very much an individual interested in ethics. I studied ethics for a long time. I still believe you should treat people well. So I don't want that to be taken poorly. But I do also believe that sometimes you just go to go out and fully send it, you know, and figure it out as you go along. I mean, half the time I succeed at anything, it's because I just took that jump. I took that leap and figured out how to fly on the way down, so to speak. So I guess that's what I'd encourage. Be a fire starter, you know, shake things up, cause a little chaos. We're talking about fire as this sort of you know, state of just frantic energy. This like, you know, electrifying, not electrifying. I don't know, but it's like, you know, it's like, bleh, it's like crazy. It's wild. It's unpredictable and it can't be caged easily. And I think that's what more people should endeavor to be that, that fire starter, not, not literally an arsonist, by the way. But I've just enjoy that phrase so much and it's fucking terrifying. I'm not going to lie to you. Like I've been trying to do something entrepreneurial. I've been trying to start a fire in the world for years um, and I failed many times at many different things. The first time I've ever seen any kind of success and I'm still very, you know, early on my journey here, but creating content and going out and birthing, you know, what I birth into the universe through this podcast, through the stream, uh, through the YouTube video of this podcast that I'm working on, going, I'm going to be working on making, I, uh, I've had to do a lot of things I didn't know how the fuck to do. And every single step of it has been scary and anxiety inducing. Um, Not to mention things like I don't always know if I'm, I'm a hundred percent going to be able to pay like the bills. Um, And it's not, it's not easy, but in my mind, it's so much better than living a life full of comfort. Uh, Comfort is in my opinion. I mean, I honestly think it's bad for human beings I think we're tricked into it feeling like it's good for us. I think it feels good in a junk food way. And we often think that that good feeling means it's, you know, it's what we need, but I think we need to be regularly challenged in our lives. I, one of the first ever, I'm a huge fan of the Joe Rogan experience. Have me on sometime, Joe, we can talk. And the first episode I ever heard of the Joe Rogan experience was the very first time he had Sebastian Younger on. And Sebastian Younger's an anthropologist. Sebastian Younger, wrote the, I believe it was a book and then was made into a movie, a documentary movie, Restrepo. No, I think it was meant to be a documentary. Sorry. He made the documentary Restrepo, and he wrote another book I really enjoy called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. And whenever he had come on this episode of the Joe Rogan Experience, he was discussing his book Tribe, in which the main thesis is that whenever human beings were in our hunter-gatherer state, you know, a lot closer to our indigenous roots— and he, he cites all these examples of Native American tribes. We were actually a lot happier and healthier mentally, even though seemingly having to fight every day to get a meal, you know, going out and having to hunt an animal, uh, source, whatever, you know, whatever you're going to eat, whatever you're going to use to sustain yourselves. It seems terrifying and it is, but humans are built to survive. I mean, look, we have survived. We've thrived thousands of years, but in our modern day, we no longer have to survive. And, and that's been the case for a long time. And so a big thesis of Sebastian Younger's tribe is that not only the necessity of, of needing a tribe to survive, that community belonging feeling, but also the fact that we're regularly presented with challenges to our own livelihoods, that those combinations of things are actually necessary for human beings to feel good, to feel okay. And Sebastian Younger believes that many manifestations of mental illness, the reason why it spikes so much in the modern day is because we're getting further and further away from that. We're getting more isolated from each other. You know, the community's, community feelings are dissipating. Uh, there's almost no struggle to survive whatsoever in most people's lives. Not everyone, of course, but most people's lives. And, you know, of course, this is this is not proven fact. This is a thesis. But I think there's really something to that. And I think that if you spend too long in comfort in your own life, especially if that comfort is slowly eroding at your sense of self-worth, you're almost, you know, taking away from your own life. You're in a way allowing yourself to necrotize. You're allowing your soul to necrotize. And I just, uh, I think that sometimes the only way to prevent that is by uh, by going full fire starter. <laughs> so that's the end of the podcast I had planned for today. I believe I mentioned earlier, but we'll be on a podcast on Sunday called The Metal Hand of God, uh, Mhog. And I will also be on another podcast soon, Carnage Radio, but that has you know yet to be scheduled. Uh, I'll be streaming later today, which is 4:29 Wednesday, 2020, and I'll also be streaming during the day on Thursday. There'll be a YouTube video of this podcast going up if you're listening to the audio version, and I'm going to start trying to regularly upload um, not only. YouTube videos of the podcast, but also just kind of a weekend review on Sundays on the YouTube channel. And so I have the YouTube channel leak in the show notes. Uh, you can just look up Major Grunge, one word, on YouTube and find it. Other than that, if you have any questions, feel free to bring them to me on the stream. I love, love, love to talk about this stuff all day long. I could talk about it for hours. So, uh, yeah, bring me any question you want. If you're interested in anything I use to record the podcast, I started including some affiliate links about the equipment in the bio because I'm really trying to... Make this whole content creation thing work, baby. But until then, I'll see you next time. Much love and goodbye.